Jake Trotter, you recently profiled Joe Thomas, the legendary offensive lineman for the Cleveland Browns. This is a guy, he didn't play quarterback, didn't play wide receiver, never played in a Super Bowl, never even played in a playoff game. And yet he's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame in Canton on Saturday. What made him Hall of Fame worthy? Yeah, Izzy, you have to start with the streak. Joe Thomas played in 10,363 consecutive snaps. The Browns start at their own nine-yard line. It's first down, and it's number 10,000 on the snap meter in a row for Joe Thomas on this play. We see a lot of players today that can't even get through a game <laughs> without coming off the field, right? So imagine an 11-year career where you do not come off the field. And this wasn't by accident either. This is the way Joe Thomas conducted himself on and off the field. He was prepared to play every snap. It was always important for me to be there because I knew the other guys, they needed it. Like, those guys were playing for their next contract. They were playing for their jobs. Our unit on offense and our O-line specifically was at their best when I was there for them. And so that's why I have a lot of pride in, in that number. And it was always really important for me to be there and to be consistent and to strive for perfection. So that's number one. But on top of that, despite not having team success, yeah, he was one of the most dominant offensive tackles during his era, and he was able to achieve that despite playing for 20 different starting quarterbacks, six different head coaches, through all that went to 10 All-Pros, six Pro Bowls. So he was somehow the model of consistency for a franchise that was anything but while he was there. So this obsessive behavior, what motivated him to do this? He was always looking for the little edge. Joel Batonio, Cleveland's all-pro left guard now, who played four seasons with Joe before he retired, he told me that Joe would take this spray that's designed for ankles before you tape them so that right. the tape doesn't stick to your ankles. He took this spray and would spray the inside of his cleats so that he wouldn't slip inside of his cleats. And I asked Joe about it, and he said there was one play where he slipped a little within his cleats. He couldn't tie them any tighter. It made him a millimeter slow, uh, step slow, and he missed a linebacker coming underneath him. And so he said he was never going to allow that to happen again. And so he was looking for different ways to keep that from happening. And that's what he came up with. And oh, by the way, now, Batonio and Wyatt Teller, Cleveland's other all-pro all guard on the right side, they both do this to this day. And they don't really know why or if it works, but... The explanation they gave is if Joe Thomas did it, that's good enough for us. So he was very meticulous and detailed in everything that he did on and off the field. I want to get into more of those details, but I also just want to ask you, frankly, with no playoff games, no postseason experience whatsoever, and this routine that was constantly a part of his day, was he able to find joy in football? He was. It wasn't easy at times because not only did he not play in a playoff game, but he only played for one winning team. In 11 seasons, he only played for one team that had a winning record, and that was in his 
first year. And I think toward the end of his career, all of this turned into a grind, but he loved football, he loved Cleveland, and he loved the pursuit of the goal to turn this franchise around. It didn't happen while he was still playing, but in a lot of ways, uh, he laid the framework for the team to get better in the years since. One thing that he quoted to me was this documentary he watched in 2011 about a Michelin chef, a sushi chef, who at the time was uh, almost 90 years old. I think he's 97 today, uh, Jiro Ono. And he really connected with this documentary because for the last 70 years, this chef does the same thing every day. For like seven years, he's been doing the exact same thing the exact same way every single day. And having that repetition allows you to be obsessed with the details and to basically be perfect. And I make that um, comparison because that's kind of like an offensive lineman. Like, these are the things we have. This is our standard. And if you want to be part of this unit, this is what you're going to do. And it's going to be the same. And if you're obsessed with the detail and the accomplishment of doing it exactly the same and perfect every time, you'll find the joy in that. He found joy in the obsession. And Joe, even though the wins didn't always come for him, he found joy in the obsession with detail and doing the same thing every day. And then also finding ways every day to find ways to improve himself. Consider the career of an NFL offensive lineman. Your job is to be as invisible as possible, taking as much punishment as possible so that the skilled players can get all the glory. Now consider the career of Joe Thomas, who played over 10,000 consecutive snaps throughout an 11-year career with the Cleveland Browns. And not one of those snaps came in a playoff game. So today... Browns reporter Jake Trotter brings us the curious case of Joe Thomas, who is set to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this weekend, and tells us how Thomas became an all-time great, despite playing on teams that just couldn't stop losing. I'm Israel Gutierrez. It's Wednesday, August 2nd. This is ESPN Daily. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Jake Trotter, you mentioned how Joe Thomas drew inspiration from a sushi chef on finding joy in his attention to detail. But sushi chef and NFL offensive tackle are two very different jobs. So I'm curious to know what that looked like on the football field. Well, for Joe... Where it started was the film room. If you ask any of the guys he played with, they always bring up the film room for Joe. And you can play an awesome game on the offensive line in the NFL and get like a 90, maybe you get a 92% grade on a scale zero to 100. Joe would get 100 
all the time. And he used to drive his teammates crazy and his position coaches for that matter because they would be in the film room afterward breaking down what Joe did and they couldn't find anything to criticize him for. So they would have to nitpick the smallest details. And Joe would get ticked off because he knew what they were doing. And, you know, he would say that minus is egregious and everybody in the room would roll their <laughs> eyes. Joe, we know you're human. Can, can you just be okay with having an almost perfect game? Does everything have to be 100% all of the time? But then even if it was minute, he would still go out and correct it the following day. He was so detailed in his technique and the way he prepared. And another way that uh, teammates will say that he was different is he had a book that he carried around that had notes on every pass rusher in the NFL. And he would study through the week leading up to that game. And by the time he got on the field, he knew everything that this pass rusher was going to throw at him. John Greco and Alex Mack, two of the, the offensive linemen he played with, in Cleveland said that he would be more stressed out with the third string guy, the rookie who he'd never seen before and had no tape on because he couldn't do his preparation. And they said it was bizarre to see him be more worked up and stressed out about this third team rookie than say Dwight Freeney, who was an all pro. (laughs) Yeah, probably should be a little bit more worried about Freeney, but you mentioned uh, the spritzing of the inside of the cleats uh, as part of his pregame routine. What other things, what other boxes did he have to check before he was able to step onto the football field? And how did that affect him? Oh, my goodness. By the time he got to the 2017 season, his last season, he said that it would take him four hours (laughs) to get ready for a game. He said it would take him two hours to get ready for practice. And it got to a point where the coaches would start to get annoyed with him because he would have to ask out of meetings early in order to get ready in time before the start of practice. By year 11, it took me like four hours to get ready for a game because I had so many little things that I was doing and checking off the list. That actually probably was one of the keys to my 10,363 consecutive snaps is that the detail I took getting myself ready for a game with how I would tighten my chin strap, how I would go through my wrist tape, with my thumb guards, and how I'd go through my ankle taping and how I'd put my shoes on, how I'd put my socks on, and I sprayed the bottom of my shoes, and I had inserts that were, like, custom-made for the bottom of my feet and how tightly I'm with a Velcro strap I would put my shoes on. So I never had any of those moments you see guys like, oh, their shoe popped off or, you know, their helmet flew off or their chin strap came unbuckled. Like, I had thought about everything a million times. And so no little weird thing is going to happen to cause me to miss a play. Just every type of equipment you could imagine a left tackle wearing, Joe Thomas was putting it on by the time he came around to his 11th season in the league. This dedication, though, to perfecting his craft, was there a sense of responsibility he also carried outside of himself? No question. And you have to go back to Cleveland during this time where it seemed like every other year, if not every year, they had a different head coach, Mm -hmm. maybe a different general manager, sometimes even new ownership. And then he had 20 different starting quarterbacks. He can't name all the quarterbacks he's played with. You ask him today, he might get 14. You can eventually stump him. He still can't name all of them. In fact, at one point in a game against Pittsburgh, Later on in his career, there was an injury. 
I think Thad Lewis was the quarterback at the time. Colt McCoy was hurt. Their other quarterbacks were hurt that week. So they signed somebody by the name of Josh Johnson, who uh, you may remember was the quarterback that replaced Brock Purdy in the NFC Championship game last year. Well, this is at the beginning of Josh Johnson's career. He comes onto the field late in the game. They're in a critical situation third long. Joe Thomas had never even met him at that point. And before they went out to run the play, he said, hi, I'm Joe Thomas. Nice to meet you. Let's go get the first down. Of course, they didn't get the first down. He was sacked and fumbled, and Pittsburgh won the game, which kind of underscored uh, you know, what happened at Cleveland during that time. But Joe Thomas was the linchpin during the 11 years he was there. And it was on him more than anybody else to set the standard, particularly for the offensive line, but the entire team. And Joe said, while I was there, the standard was gonna be the standard and good was not gonna be okay, perfect was gonna be okay. And what's interesting about the Browns while Joe was there is despite all the losing, they had a top five offensive line more times than not. They were elite on the offensive line It wasn't just because Joe Thomas was a great player. It's because he made the other guys really good players as well. So even though it didn't translate into a lot of wins, he was still that type of leader that you love on a football team. How did this attitude become contagious with the rest of the Browns? Well, it was a little bit irksome as well, Mm. if you talk to some of his teammates, because they had to live up to the standard. And that wasn't always easy for them to do. John Greco told me a story, a guard who played with Joe for a number of years in Cleveland, that he got moved to center because of an injury uh, to Alex Mack. He'd never played center in his life, high school, college, or pro. And he's not getting to the line of scrimmage in this game in Jacksonville fast enough. And finally, it got to a point where Joe and him are screaming in a huddle uh, because of this, because Joe wants to get set. And when you knock Joe out of his routine, like he's going to get upset with you. And finally, they just started laughing. John just started laughing because he, it, I just realized it was better to just do it the way Joe wanted. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to win that argument, but they saw what he was doing in the film room. And so they all started watching film with him on their own time. They saw the work that he was putting in off the field. And so they started doing the same. And they collectively, especially the offensive line, had a commitment to excellence that didn't matter if you were losing 28 to seven. Didn't matter if you were on your fourth team quarterback. We're gonna do the best that we can and we're gonna emulate Joe and that's how we're gonna conduct our business because that's the standard for us here. So uh, there's no question that it had an impact on the team despite the losing. And if you talk to guys like Joel Batonio, who is one of the top offensive linemen in the league now, you know he'll say a lot of what he learned came from his four years with Joe. So his impact on the Browns continues well into today. Yeah, it does seem difficult to criticize perfection. Uh, Jake, I did want to ask you this, though, because it seems like Joe thought of everything on the field even before he got to the game, even his clothes, right? Yeah, Joe Batonio would make fun of Joe because he wore baggy pants. You know, football Mm. pants are supposed to be tight. You know, they hold your pads on. And Joe would have the baggiest pants in the locker room and the guys would make fun of him. Finally, Joe had had enough and and Joel was giving him a hard time. And Joe said, have you ever seen a ninja? Do they wear tight pants? No, they wear baggy pants. And so even that Joe had thought about and 
worked through in his mind that he didn't want to be constricted. You know, he wanted to have freedom of movement, and he felt like that helped him be a tiny bit quicker on the field uh, to react to the pass rushers. So he definitely emulated the ninja when it came to protecting the quarterback on the field. Well, no offense to a Hall of Famer, but if I ever saw Joe Thomas in his playing weight in really baggy jeans, my first thought would not be, hey, there's a ninja. <laughs> well, Joe, Joe wouldn't have done it by accident, that's for sure. He would have had an explanation for you. Yeah, I'm sure he would have, Jake. But up next, I want to find out how he became a Hall of Fame player on a Hall of Shame team. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th, and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, wonderful pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Now, Jake, we mentioned it's no secret that Joe was doing this while the Cleveland Browns weren't very good. How did Thomas approach the thought of being a Hall of Fame player on a terrible team? Well, you know, he, as I mentioned was the standard bearer for this team. And I think later on in his career, he probably began to realize that, you know, we're probably not going to win a Super Bowl while I'm here. For a lot of players, the older they get, you know, they think about their career and not just the season. And you know, Joe told me this one story, and a lot of his teammates did as well. In 2013, they're playing at Minnesota. Uh, his daughter, his oldest daughter, Logan, is attending the game for the first time. He sees her in the stands, and the Browns make this remarkable comeback. Late in the fourth quarter, the Vikings uh, launch an all-out blitz, and somehow Joe and the others, they pick up this blitz. It's 30, go of the seven. For Cleveland, born and raised, Brian Hoyer. Here comes Allen. There's the pass. It's a touchdown! 
leave the Browns. Joe's teammates said that they'd never seen him get that emotional during a game like he did. And I asked Joe about it, and, you know, he said, uh, you know, my, my daughter being there just reminded me of how much I care, you know, how important this is to me, that, you know, my family, my teammates, the city, uh, you know, this team, and just the emotion of winning a game in that setting, uh, you know, he couldn't hold back. It was just an emotional experience knowing that my first child was watching me play football, you know, do something that I've loved my whole life. And knowing that someday I'd be able to tell him, like, hey, you know, I put it all on line. I went through the misery and I dealt with all those injuries. It was for you guys, right? And that was that first moment. Um, but it was just tangible. And so it was a very, a very special game for me. It kind of leads into, you know, why he stayed in Cleveland. We're in the era of player empowerment, and it was starting to happen toward the end of Joe's career. The Denver Broncos in 2015, they've got Peyton Manning. They're getting re- ready to make a Super Bowl run. They need a left tackle, and they target Joe Thomas. And it became clear to Peyton that they weren't going to be able to get this deal done. The Browns were a little reluctant to trade Joe Thomas, you know, the most important player they've had right. since returning to the league in 1999. They're not going to be able to make this trade happen unless Joe forces it. And Joe, unlike a lot of players, I think, in that moment, wanted to stay. He did not want to leave. It was so important for him to be a Cleveland Brown, to stay in Cleveland and try to finish what he had started. It was obviously flattering and tempting to play with Peyton Manning and play on a team that ended up going to win the Super Bowl. Um, But it was... It was nerve-wracking because I did want to stay in Cleveland and finish what I started. And I was not ready to uproot my family and my career and go start over in Denver. Uh, Especially because how much I love the Browns and how my singular goal when I got drafted was to be part of the turnaround of this once-proud franchise. And, like, that was my goal. And I felt like I had that unfinished business. And I loved it. I loved my teammates. You know, talking to some of his teammates, including Andrew Hawkins, uh, who's in the media now, was a receiver on that team, they all wanted this for Joe. They wanted him to go win a Super Bowl. Joe was the only one that didn't want it. And they remember how sad he was leading into the trade deadline with everybody thinking that this might happen. Joe didn't force a trade. They ended up not trading him. And as Andrew Hawkins put it, we got the old Joe back immediately. I think that's another way that Joe is maybe unique and why he's so important to Cleveland because he had an option to leave and no one would have blamed him and he still wanted to stay even though that meant he was never going to get to play in a Super Bowl. He was never going to get to play in a playoff game. And oh, by the way, the Denver Broncos with Peyton Manning, as you remember, went on to win a Super Bowl that year. Yeah, Jake, it must have been such a test for him, a test of wills because me being in Miami during Peyton Manning's free agent time there, there were helicopters following him around everywhere he went. There was this intense thought of, hey, where's he going? Wherever he goes, a Super Bowl will be won. And yet somehow Joe Thomas was not convinced to be traded there. Yeah, and Peyton, you know, didn't give up easily. The day, day or two before the trade deadline, you know, Peyton called up Joe and said, you know, you need to go up to their office, speaking of the front office and the general manager, you need to leave us something and tell them I'm out of here. 
Hmm. Uh, which Joe thought was funny and flattering and tempting to be sure. But at the end of the day, it was important for him to remain in Cleveland and to be a Brown throughout his career. And I think that's another way, again, why he is unique. You know, he played for one team his entire tenure. And even though they never won, he stayed there the entire time and maintained a level of excellence that was basically unmatched for his position at the time. Well, in the end here, Jake, your thoughts. Do you think we'll ever see another player like Joe Thomas again in the NFL? We might see offensive tackles that are as good, that maybe work as hard, that are as prolific, and maybe even stay with the same team their entire career. I don't think we're going to see another player in the NFL particularly an offensive lineman, play in 10,363 <laughs> consecutive snaps. It's the Cal Ripken Jr. baseball streak, uh, the NFL version of that. And so Joe Thomas, I think 20 years from now, we're going to look back at him and his career and just be blown away by the fact that he played in that many snaps in a row and played at an all-pro level throughout the entire time. It's really remarkable And I think it's going to be one of the hallowed streaks, the hallowed numbers in NFL history. Jake Trotter, thank you for your story on Joe Thomas, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Izzy. I'm Israel Gutierrez. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow.